Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Hello, it's Dan Lebitard. Welcome to South Beach Sessions. You know I've been watching a lot of documentaries. You know I love HBO. HBO has a documentary, 100-Foot Waves, six-part series. HBO Max available for streaming. It's fascinating for a lot of reasons. It's about a 100-Foot Wave and what it's like to try and surf a 100-Foot Wave, 10 stories tall. Garrett and Nicole McNamara are at the center of this story. It's a love story. Let's check in with them. I don't know if they get a lot of this, a lot of, are you guys crazy? But they are certainly living a life that's a little more present than yours is when they do some of this death-defying stuff that they're doing. So Garrett and Nicole, thank you for joining us. And the show is fascinating. Really, your life is fascinating. The support and the danger and what it is that you're tackling. It's an interesting spiritual story. So I guess I will start with you, Nicole, and just ask how or the nature of love, define it for me. Explain to people how it is that you can support what your man loves, even though what your man loves is, and it's insane. Well, you know, everybody says Garrett's crazy, but then there's those people that say, I'm actually the crazy one because I married him. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, it's more of a natural situation. I know for some of the other wives of big wave surfers, it's a little more tough, you know, there's tears at every swell when they're heading out the door. But I don't know, I feel like I know Garrett on such like a deeper level that he belongs in the ocean. I always tell people, it's like, I'm not scared for him to be out in the ocean on the big waves. I'm scared to give him my car keys and the credit card and my kids to go to the store because one of them is going to get lost. <laughs> but but there, Garrett, see, you've got an expertise and a love of this particular thing, right, where she's probably looking at it because of how you've sculpted this skill and said, in this space, this is my most confident husband. Something bad can happen, but he is he is his best self here, I would imagine. I'm judging just from what you guys have documented. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's it's where he belongs, and that's where I feel he's most comfortable. Like, I honestly have never felt even one time that the ocean will be the place that his life ends. <laughs> so Garrett, you smile at this. I don't know what the roots are. Perhaps you can explain it to us. The documentary is very well done, but I still don't know that I understand how it is that you need to be called toward this. Well, I grew up in Hawaii and we didn't have much. So Surfing was my everything. You know, it was a place where I could just go out there and nothing mattered. So it was my passion, it's my love. And I vowed to never surf waves over 10 feet tall up until I was about 15. And then a good friend of mine forced me to go out on a 10 foot day and I had a really good experience and fell in love with big waves. And from then on, I was just, that was it. I was on a big wave mission, just looking for bigger waves. I was not comfortable over 15. First it was 10, then it was 15, then it was 20, then it was 25. And then 
there was no wave too big, but that was all, it took a while. It was about, uh, till I was about a late twenties. Really? When you went to Jaws, you were still scared. Yeah. Yeah. So 2007, that's when the fear kind of disappeared. But I still don't understand the why, Garrett. You go from 10 to 15 to 20, and then you're like, but it needs to be more. It has to be more. It has to be more. 70 foot waves? Yeah, seven stories, okay, but it has to be more. I still don't understand the why. That's a great well, back, question. <laughs> back then, it was to get the rush. I'd always been trying to get the rush, but not jumping out of planes, not swimming with sharks, not riding horses, just in the ocean on waves. It was mainly to get, well, I'd say it's about half and half. Half to get the rush for the feeling and have to put foot on the table. It was my job. I had to do something monumental every year to be able to keep surfing as a career. And the whole goal is to be able to keep surfing without having to do a nine to five. Okay, that's interesting. Nicole, why, I'll come back to that. Nicole, though, why do you say that that's a good question? I would think as his wife, you would have a better access to the whys than even he does. Well, I mean, the why is that I think I mean, I could go deep psychology here, but um, I think for him, it's when he feels alive, like it needs to be the biggest, like when it's when it's only like 40 feet, it doesn't really do it for him. Like there's like a part of him that needs to be woke up. Like so when he's on the biggest waves he can find, like he's that's when he really is Garrett. Garrett, I can't tell you how horrified I was before you even went into the water in the first episode, just watching those waves crash against those rocks. And then more horrified by simply your jet ski guys. I'm like, that's the safest thing they're doing out there. And that looks like any one of them can get thrown against a rock at any second or even more fun when your wife almost drowns because you're in... Yeah, great fun you guys are having because, of course, you're going to drown in that because once somebody falls in the water, it is deeply unsafe. It doesn't feel like anything should be in that water. It's much more driving <laughs> dangerous driving down Dixie Highway. That's not true. It's simply you're saying because you're so expert at it that it's safe for you, but it's not safe for anybody else. And, I mean, it, it's not lost on me. Your wife, I mean, she did almost drown. I can't even imagine what that was like. Well, that was all her fault. <laughs> no, it was a that was a sad day because she was going to be this big wave champion beating Maya and all this great stuff. And then it ended her career right there. I don't know if it was ever much a career, but it was starting. Can you explain to the audience that has not seen this, for example, just explain to me the difficulty of getting out to ride a 100 foot wave? I think the most challenging part about getting out there is putting on the wetsuit. <laughs> There's wetsuits are so tight with all this flotation built in. And I've been trying to get body glove to make changes. They never would. So I'm not working with them anymore. Um, Patagonia is supposed to be working on one. We'll see what they what's going on. I, I'm very curious to see what they come up with. And um, so the wetsuits have all this flotation built in. And if they're not loose enough to get on, it's almost impossible to get the thing on. So my suit is so hard to get on. Um, then going out, it's very easy. Get on the ski, drive through the channel, out to the lineup. And then watching 
is pretty intense when you see these giant waves coming in and the wind blowing and the big fan and there's big rainbows on the back of the wave and while riding the wave there's big chops it's like moguls like icy moguls and uh with an avalanche chasing you and so when you're coming down the wave you're hitting chop after chop and your feet are in the straps and they're trying they're kind of coming out at times so it's really hard to stay on the board and stay on the wave and if it's a nice smooth one it's like cutting butter with a hot knife but nine out of ten in Nazareth are just big icy moguls and and then you kick out if you make the wave you kick out and then you got to hope that your driver's right there if he's not then you're gonna have to face a bunch of waves in the head that was very well described. You put us there, and I thought it would be a little smoother than that, given your expertise, that it would feel a little more serene somewhere. But I guess the fear, or not the fear, but the bumpy ride is part of the challenge, right? You saying a foot came out of the strap to me is horrifying because you're basically falling down the side of a building. So if one toe hits wrong and you lose your balance, explain to us what it is to be under a hundred foot wave. How long are you going to be under there? There's also the possibility of a fin breaking and then you would just slide out. So um, fall, you're getting pounded. You're going in all directions like um, a car crash, a, a minute long car crash, <laughs> rolling and tumbling and, and maybe like King Kong grabs the washing machine on spin cycle and he's going like this. So you're just like, there's no control and you don't know where you are. You don't know which way's up and you're dizzy and you're running out of air and, and you're not fighting, you're relaxing and you, you pull your limbs in at times so you don't get broken, ripped or snapped. But uh, for the most part, you're relaxing to conserve all your oxygen. And then when the violent pounding ends and it calms down, then you, since we have the flotation, we know which way is up. We start going towards the surface. Even though we might be so dizzy, we still don't know. And then we just kind of swim nice and slow with our hands. And then right before your lips come out, right as they come out, you and then you're kind of you're still spinning, so you don't know where the next wave is. You're kind of going like this, trying to figure out where the next wave is going to come. And if you're lucky, you get a couple breaths. If you're not, you get maybe one breath, and the next wave just does rolls you over and does the exact same thing all over again. How much fear is in there? And they're pretty fun. Um, I don't haven't had much fear in the poundings. I've always enjoyed them. So, but I have been uh, allowing fear to enter my mind lately with thoughts of um, not being ready. Well, my lungs, my stamina, um, my body feels good right now, but my I have zero stamina in the ocean for my lungs. I have zero lung capacity. If I if I was do like one to a hundred, I'm probably at about thirty percent right now of what I need to be at for lung capacity to hold my breath for like ten waves in a row. I probably would pass out right now. That part, yeah, you left out how many waves you have to do that for because you're talking about grabbing one breath. You just described 10 horrific minutes that you're describing as fun. What's the matter yeah. with you? What's the matter with you? Like that's not, 
I, Nicole, you smile too, but like what you just described. laughing. <laughs> what you just described to the audience, the way that you put that, I think people, that's not roller coaster, that's not thrill ride stuff. And you're talking about your lung capacity. You're saying if I'm going to go, that's the way for me to go. I'm not, af I'm not afraid of death. I'm challenging it all the time. I, I do my best to compliment the waves and I uh, prepare myself um, for the next two months. I'll be working on my lung capacity. And if I don't feel right, I won't be riding them. But if I do feel right, I will. And what has happened to your lung capacity? How does that weaken? Is that a you're at 54 years old? Is this not the prime for a surfer who conquers mountains and that no one else can conquer? Um, if I was I, I've been training my body, but not my lungs. So normally I surf all year. And I'm getting pounded all year long in the whitewater. So my lung capacity never changes. I'm always really strong. Since I injured my shoulder, I have, I mean, it feels like I've surfed 10 times. I've surfed a few more times than that, but pretty much every time I go back out, I get sore ribs, which means I was out for two months. I didn't surf for two months. That, so yeah, basically 30% of my lung capacity is what I'm at right now because I don't surf. Is spiritual something that can be found in what it is that you're doing do you feel closer to god is it anything that's supernatural for you to chase this particular high definitely feel connected to source to galactic source uh you're definitely connected to everything your spirit God, whatever you want to call it, some energetic field up there. Um, it's scientific fact that we're all connected by energy. And you feel like you're tapping into that energy. You feel like you're connecting to that energy. And you can you can do that anywhere you want, any time of the day. But I just feel like in the ocean, I really am able to connect and really tap in. On the land, it's a little more challenging for me. There's so many distractions, so much things going on, and and you know life gets a hold of you. But in the ocean, you just let everything go and connect, and it's, it's definitely spiritual, beautiful, and also a heightened state of being for you, right? Because you have to be so present. Because one misstep takes you out of being present and unconnects you to the thing that you're trying to connect to. Yeah, you know, since 2007, I didn't really have any fear in the ocean. And I do think that fear might be a, a good thing just because it keeps you more focused and sharp and, and really focused on making your waves and not like, oh, just casually going down this 60-foot wave, having a blast. I don't really care what happens. I'm just going to have fun no matter what. And uh, you got to be really focused and make your waves and that, you know, you can not make your waves and can have a lot of fun underwater, but the, the, the chances of getting injured are much greater when you fall. And, and I, I'm just not, the injuries were so challenging. I had to face lately that I don't feel like an injured anymore. Can you give us the most serene, peaceful, joyful, grateful, Thing that you have felt inside of a wave? Uh, Jaws 2003. I got uh, my, the most memorable wave I've surfed was uh, 
It's beautiful, perfect. Uncle Dane Kilo has driving me in. Nobody else goes because he's a big Hawaiian. He lets me go right in the perfect spot. A slingshot down the wave. I fade the teen. I'm looking at it going, oh, my God, this is the wave I've been dreaming of about my whole life up to that point. And I faded a little bit. So when you let go of the rope, you can run to the channel and it's real safe and easy. Or you can compliment the I like to compliment the wave, to ride it the, the best I can. And and for me, that's the deepest I can get into the barrel. So I instead of running, I faded and then turned last second right under the lip. As it was coming down, I was turning under and it actually hit me hit my head so I'm now I'm blinded going into this thing and I'm standing in this massive barrel I can't see but I can feel it and I'm coming up the face and I can feel it starting to suck me up and back and I'm about to fall back luckily I'm connected in the straps I'm almost falling back and I feel it go like a backdraft and everything gets sucked back and then all of a sudden, this hurricane-like tornado force wind comes flying from behind me. It's called the spit. It's a compression chamber. And right as I'm falling, it picks me up and throws me out in front of the wave. And I land in front of the wave, open my eyes, stand up, and look up. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, thank you, God. That was the best experience I've had. How close are you to getting sucked into that before the wind arrives? Well, that one, I was one second and I would have been underwater. How dangerous is the choice you made to fade? Uh, well, I feel confident underwater. So, and I love being pounded. So there wasn't, I mean, the possibilities of getting injured if that lip had landed on me. There's definitely possibility, but I've, you know, I've faced a lot of waves that land, the lip lands right on me at that big and no problem. But since the injury now, I don't want to have to face anymore. So I'd say the risk versus reward was 50, 50. You described uh, something from 17 years ago. That sounds perfect. That sounds like a perfectly ridden wave. And you said you went specific there. You said the, the best, the perfect wave I've been waiting for all my life. Have you been chasing that for 17 years? Well, that is what I've been look always look for. <laughs> but I'm saying something better. You say that's the perfect that's the perfect ride. Now you want that on a 100-foot wave? It's not enough to surf a 100-foot wave. You want that. You want to be belched out by a 100-foot wave never said to be existing except in mythology before you found it. That's exactly it. <laughs> I've done it a million times in my mind. Okay, so that but that's what you're out for, there for at this point. That's the chance. But I don't want to. I don't want to last second it under the lip. I want to just turn nice and easy, and have the wave just kind of pass me a little bit, and then let me out into the channel. I'm not that greedy. <laughs> Nicole, what is the most scared you've been watching your man, even understanding that this this is a level of heightened spirituality of being alive, and obviously it's 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 a bit insane, even if he thinks that it's safe. Um, so it was definitely actually on this wave, that one photo that everybody has seen. That's really the only time I've ever been scared. 
I was on the walkie talkie and we've always talked about, because right in front of that lighthouse, you can't see unless you're standing up there. There's two pilings of rocks like in front in the water. So we've always agreed that, you know, we're not going to catch that wave that breaks right in front of those rocks. And on this day, that wave started farther out. So you could have classified it as as the safe zone, but it wasn't breaking. So it's just building, building, building. And he's on this wave that's just building and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was very obvious that this wave was going to break right on the rocks. (laughs) It, It never really broke until farther in. So Garrett ends up right in front of the rocks waiting for the jet ski driver to come pick him up and this they didn't have this but they didn't have it in the yeah i don't know show. so he's sitting right in like he's like 20 feet away from this piling of rocks that we agreed he'd never be next to the jet ski driver comes in to get him this side wave comes the jet ski driver goes flying off his ski so now the two of them are in the water luckily that day we not only had one backup to the safety we had we had three safety that day so the two extra safety came in and one got garrett and one got the jet ski driver but i almost (laughs) got sucked over onto the rocks that was you know there's a difference between destiny and stupidity some of the times it's stupidity (laughs) in in that particular instance what it is that you're talking about and forgive my ignorance here but it's you being thrown again and again while under this water having fun as you say against these rocks correct like you you can't survive that if you keep getting hit no by- i mean i possibly could have washed through them because there's a chance it's deep on the other side of the rocks but if you go straight into them i did have my padded suit on so i might have, and i did i have a helmet that day no helmet i had a padded suit on i might have bounced off them a few times and then made it around but it wouldn't have been pretty when do you feel, and this might be assigning too much ego to this, but where and when on the wave do you feel most immortal? Most immortal. I don't ever feel immortal. So you don't, there's no, there's no moment of such great confidence and ego and expertise because you just described something. What you just described as the perfect wave, if you get sucked one second the other way, in the wrong instance and the lung capacity isn't right. Any number of things can go wrong and no matter how fun you find this. And so I don't, so I I'm not totally understanding your fearlessness around this. Okay. So if I got sucked one second different on that particular second white water that came at me, I was one second from going on the rocks literally. And I didn't realize I was that close. And there was a GoPro on the nose of my board showing the rocks right behind me. For some reason we couldn't, the editors didn't find it or I don't know. So it didn't make the cut, but uh, the flip side is when you come out of a barrel, like the barrel is just, that's when you're on top of the world. But this is what I'm saying. You're living on the razor's edge, are you not? Of That's why it makes you feel the most alive, because it grabs all of your focus in that moment. And it's the height of the expertise of a craft that you have been sculpting across your entire lifetime. Well, Nicole's having a giant, like, 10-foot-high razor blade made in the backyard right now, so I can slide down it 
What? <laughs> he said I'm living on razor's edge. Is am I not but Nicole, I'm right, correct? That he's he's living very close to the line there, but it's also the thing that he's always seeking and it makes him feel most most alive to to be on that edge. Yes, it seems that way, but I feel that every time there's been a situation like that situation, his Mavericks injury, his foot injury, it was all that destiny versus stupidity thing like he should never have been in those three situations. Other than that, he makes like logical, rational decisions. Well, explain this part to me, Garrett, because I'd like to understand the pressure and the responsibility because it's not lost on me that you said, hey, I need to earn a living this way. And the way that I measure success is that I get to keep doing it. So it's a it creates a hunger inside you professionally that makes you better because it feeds your family. Yeah, but you, you have to stop doing it if you don't make enough money doing it, correct? Yes. That's when you got to go and do a nine to five or whatever you can figure out. And that's the worst death for you, right? The idea yeah. of, of nine to five tethered to something you don't love, tethered to something that isn't the ocean. Exactly. And where does that come from? Is that just surfing at a young age, as you said, with um, not a lot to do? And that's, you know, that was the best of life then and it's the best of life now. Now what I enjoy is more perfect waves. I don't, I used to ride everything that moved, every swell, onshore, offshore, whatever. I was out there just training or having fun. And now I really just like perfect waves. And if there's perfect waves, then I'll consider surfing them unless I'm taking my son out. My son, I'll take him out on any conditions that he wants to. Perfect waves are just, you know, a wave with a barrel on it, a nice wave with a barrel on it. And that's what I like. Doesn't have to be that big. Six feet is really nice. Four feet will still work, but uh, up to like 15 is super fun. 30 foot faces. And then after 30 foot faces, it gets a lot more serious and a lot heavier. And, and there's a lot more going on. And those days I'll surf here and there, but um, I'm not, I don't have to ride. I used to have to ride every wave, every swell. I had to get the best wave of the day or I was not happy. And I, if I saw a big swell going to Tahiti and I went there and I'd be focusing on getting the wave of the day. And, and at the end of the day, if I didn't, I wasn't that happy. And um, they just had a giant swell, probably one of the best swells ever just hit there last week. And I could have gone and I did not feel ready. So I didn't even consider it. And I was happy at home. Normally, I'd be on suicide watch if I missed it, and I could have gone there. Can you explain to us the difference that you're making, the distinction in your head between 30 foot and everything else, the, the leap that you're making there from 30 to 50 to 40? Please explain that in terms that somebody who doesn't surf can understand. Well, uh, you know, 30 feet and under is pretty manageable, no matter what shape you're in, as long as you can stay calm and... Uh, accept where you are deal with the poundings pretty much all of us could handle it but most people most people would panic but our bodies are set up our lung capacity on a normal person can handle it once it gets over 30 feet if you got to face numerous amounts of waves on the head you're going to end up passing out and you're going to have to be relying on your team to find you and and resuscitate you and uh so the 30 foot and under i'm very comfortable confident and have a really good time 
and 30 foot and over, same thing, but I'm not confident at all with my long capacity right now. A little more help if you could so that people understand what it is that you're chasing here, a mythical wave that people didn't think grew to 10 stories tall. The difference between 30 feet and 100 feet is what? Uh, on the wave, a lot more speed. The wave moves so much faster and a lot bigger bumps. And the difference is you better have a really good team in place. You better have at least a second safety guy. You got to have your safety, your driver, plus a safety guy and preferably two safety guys. And then you got to be ready. You got to really want it and you got to prepare and you got to have your spotter on the cliff. And, you know, Nazareth is a place where it happens more than anywhere. So um, that's where we're, we're uh, most chance of it happening or Nazareth. There's a few other spots around the world that we're looking at that could potentially have a hundred foot wave. And we just got to find it. You got to wait for it. The conditions have to align, be perfect. And uh, everything has to line up the wind, the swell height, the swell direction. And then it will happen. Nicole, help me understand. Is there anything from this kind of pounding that would affect uh, his head, just his head, where his head gets hit all the time? We know about Wait. concussions. We know about football. I'm asking her this question, Garrett, because I suspect that she might uh, she might notice this a little bit more than you do. But it might be. It seems all of this seems this pounding seems like something that taken for 30 years would would be very dangerous with effects that you might not have seen coming 30 years ago. I mean, I, I personally, I mean, I don't know how other people feel about, but even his, uh, his shoulder surgeon agreed with me, his orthopedic surgeon is, he felt it too, that there is a potential for them to have the concussion syndrome that the football players get. Like sometimes I give him a free pass when he's just being like totally bipolar. I'm like, yeah, you definitely have that kind of football thing going on because it's just, it's not, it's not normal. So yeah, I mean, scientifically, it's my favorite word. Um, technically, technically, uh, after all of that rattling, I think it would be physically impossible to not have some sort of brain damage. The size of your love, Nicole, to extend this, no, seriously, acceptance and understanding the father of your children, a good man to, to support him living life in his truest terms. Like I, I, Garrett, it's not lost on you, right? It's not possible unless, unless she loves like that, because a lot of women couldn't, w wouldn't reach you at a place of understanding here. That's a question for me. <laughs> do you understand? <laughs> How lucky you are. Yes, <laughs> I it's, do understand. It's an amazing <laughs> thing to support. It's an amazing thing to support because it's it's very dangerous what it is that you're doing, whether you regard it as such or not. From a hundred feet up, can you put us there, Garrett? You've done a very good uh, way of describing putting us in every situation because you close your eyes as, and, and you take us there and you have all of the details from the highest of the mountain that you have climbed, put us there with you, take us down with you. 
the ones that I've actually surfed or yes, yes. The, the, the best that you've gotten, like you gave us already the, the perfect wave, but I'm talking about just in sheer size, what you believe, because part of this, there's some ego in the size, correct? You want to surf a wave that can't be surfed. That doesn't exist. Otherwise you would have stopped already. I don't know. I might go be surfing. I'll be surfing for sure. Not hundredfold waves, but uh, there's a statue in Lisbon, the Vasco da Gama statue, and it's it's exactly a hundredfold wave, and it's this big wave, and it's all the on the front side is all the faces of all the explorers, and on the back side is this giant wave, and it's about a hundred feet. So uh, that's a really good marker, and you can go to the top of it. Oh, there. I think it's stairs. It might be elevator stairs right elevator. Uh, elevator and but then you go up a 10-story building and look down there's the 100 foot wave uh there's been there's a the back side of nazare there's a on the on the or on the front side on the ocean side towards the harbor there's a really big cliff there and there's little markers on it and i i try to figure out where 100 feet is on that but the the best one that i found was the Nazare vernicular is this train that goes up the mountain and on the track, on the ground, in the cement, they have markers each uh, 10 meters, 20 meters, 30 meters. And so you get up to the top of that and you look down and you can really visualize and really see what might look like height wise. And that's where I used to train every day. I would run up that thing every day. It's like straight up. And, um, it's it was uh it felt doable it felt good it didn't feel like i wanted it on my head but, uh, <laughs> you mentioned having a good team and one of the things that struck me is that some of your jet ski guys have never ridden jet skis before so you start them out at a hundred foot wave i didn't even understand what was happening there like a couple of different guys on your team had never been in those kinds of waters before and didn't know how to operate a jet ski. That does not seem like the best team on the front end. Well, as you said, my wife loves me so much. She wanted me all to herself. She didn't want to bring anybody to Portugal. And so we had to find whoever we could. What? <laughs> how can your team not be somebody with more experience than that? You just had to get guys who would be willing to be death defying like that. Cause that none of that seems safe to, especially to amateurs. Yeah. Well, back then I wasn't afraid of anything and I really enjoyed being underwater and I was really open to training people and open to helping people live, find their passion and live, live their dreams, you know, write down their goals and make their, their goals come reality. And Cody from the first day, I didn't know that he had had that accident in Mulletmore. They thought that I already knew about that. I had heard nothing about it. And when I spoke to them, they said, oh yeah, we've been driving in beaches. Yeah, might we, we drive in beaches all the time. And I'm like, uh, I think this is going to be a little different than the beaches you drive in. So uh, they came and luckily Cody drove really well. The first pickup when he came in and grabbed me and then ran in, turned around and then made it back out. That's when I knew he was capable. He had been driving. He was just uh, didn't have 
as much experience. Nobody had experience in Missouri. Nobody knew how to drive there. Nobody even thought it was possible. Everybody thought it was impossible to get back out because it's a big closeout. So that day we we figured out that it was possible to get back out. And that day I, for lack of a better word, fell in love with Cotty and his driving and him as a person. And uh, we became a team and he just, he's really good at rescuing. He was amazing at rescuing right out of the gate. And he was good at driving me into waves. Not, not that he wasn't as uh, good as my Hawaiian partner, Kealii Mamala, but he was wanted to, he was willing to put the time in and he did. Nicole, what did the documentary get right and what did it get wrong? Because I don't know whether you guys were consulted on the editing or not. I don't know how much creative control you had over it, but it felt like an honest depiction that you guys were letting everybody into your lives. What did it get right and what did it get wrong? She actually wrote the doc. No, that is not true. Chris is 100% responsible for the final product. That's true. Honestly, we watched it a few edits ago. I've only watched the first final one that everybody's seen. I haven't watched the other episodes. I I can't watch myself, but (laughs) it's gotten everything right. It could have gone deeper in a few areas, but other than that, I haven't seen anything that is not accurate. And the beauty, I really think the beauty of this story being told in a docu-series, because originally it was just going to be a one-hour doc. Yeah, she wrote a one-hour, one-and-a-half The beauty of the six episodes, the series, is that we had so much archival footage. So really, you guys are watching it as it was happening. Like, that first, that scene of Garrett at the lighthouse with the wind blowing, that literally was the first time ever we had laid eyes on Nazare. So... It's really cool that all of that footage and everything we captured is finally being showed to the world. And it's, yeah, it's, it's all, ac- I haven't seen anything. Where that... could they have gone deeper? Where would you have liked, what are you thinking of there? Um, I mean, we've had a few people reach out like, oh, you get married and then you have a kid. Like we didn't, you know, see that progression. And so there I felt it could have gone a little deeper. Um Well, tell me about that, though, Garrett. What does she mean there, just in terms of what it is that your family life has been in supporting this and explaining to people the early parts of the journey? Well, there was from 2010 to 2013, we had a documentary guy with us the whole time. And then in 2014, he kind of disappeared. The project we were doing got canceled and he kind of went and did other things with other people. So for five years, there was nobody really filming. Well, we had little pieces. We had little pieces here and there, but we didn't, I mean, we could have had like a hundred episodes if we had somebody filming the whole time. And there were so many crazy things that happened. And uh, we had another guy uh, who would help us with red chargers, but that, that was one part that could have been a lot deeper. They they were going to only do a really short clip on the glacier experience and luckily they went deeper there. They were going to do a super short clip on the red chargers and they didn't really go deeper. Well, they, they, went they went a went little deeper. bit deeper, but it was a full on uh, amazing year of amazing we were just showcasing all the athletes and we were showcasing where they came from. Kind of like the documentary but in uh 
in one year with all the athletes. We're trying to showcase the athletes that were having more challenges getting sponsored, having more challenges doing it for a living, the, uh, the underdogs and sharing their story and who they are and how they're so, in, you know, really letting the world know they exist. And there's a lot of really good footage there. Okay. Yeah, last year there was a lot of drama and every year there was some drama. Chris really painted a beautiful picture with everybody and he. And it really is. I mean, for the most part, but chaotic what? I No, I understand what you're saying. You made it a famous spot. There are people, there's some dangers there. I think I understand what you're saying. There's some liability issues. You don't want to glorify something that is, you know, if not in the right hands is dangerous. Yeah. I, I think that's what you're getting yes. to there. That's just honest. That doesn't seem like you're saying anything that shouldn't be said there. Yeah. Well, there were some big fights that went down last year and some... Oh, maybe they'll make it next season. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about that. Okay, yes, you've got more in the tank. You've got more, you've got plenty of stories. We're going to get a call later. We told you guys. To okay, just yes, be going. careful. You're now, yes, you've got to be careful with the PR of these things now. The Glacier experience you mentioned, for the people who do not know what you're talking about there, can you explain to them the Glacier experience? Well, that's how my hair went white. I got glacierized. <laughs> For those who do not know, he decided I'm going to surf a glacier. I don't know what else to tell you there. I don't have that wrong. That's the simplified version, right? I had already stood on a whale, so I figured I might as well go ride a glacier. So uh, we go to Alaska. A friend of mine has this great idea, Ryan Casey, who's uh, now gone. He's passed away. Rest in peace, my brother. He uh, came up with this idea to go surf the tidal waves that were generated from a glacier calving and displacing the water below and up comes a, a wave what he didn't really uh what i didn't realize is if the glacier falls the, the the piece of ice that comes off falls flat it turns into a huge shotgun the biggest shotgun in the world and if but if it goes straight in it displaces the water perfectly you got a wave but you never really know what's going to happen so it was really dangerous and I, I definitely don't recommend it and it was where the fear I was so afraid the first way we attempted that I started crying, freaked out, and wanted to go home. And they, luckily, Kaylee, well, Kaylee talked me into staying, and we we accomplished it. So that was good. I had a lot of sponsors and investors, and a lot of people counting on us, and I was ready to just throw in the towel. So it's um, risk versus reward, not worth it. I mean, if it goes wrong, you're getting crushed and you're dead. So I, that's where I draw the line. I was, I was like, no, I'm out of here. But we, we watched it and studied it and figured out which ones would go flat and which ones would go straight in. And we got way too comfortable in the end of that mission. We were way too comfortable. We were sitting 50 feet away from this thing that's 300 foot tall that could, that could fall flat at any time and kill us. You've done a great job of describing these things. So go ahead. What does it feel like? to surf a glacier the first way it's creaking and cracking and getting ready to break off and it's crumbling and you're just waiting and watching and you're 50 feet away from it and then it finally display it detaches and goes in and then after it goes in you start going towards this swell that's coming at you and this there's this weird undulation coming at you and and then all of a sudden, right before you, you get to it, it's about to break. And then you're getting towed at a full speed and you let go. 
And I rode this little swell and it was only like a two, three foot high swell and it didn't break. It wasn't big enough. I broke a little bit and I'm riding a swell. And then I look up behind me and I'm 50 feet away from this freaking 300 foot tall glacier. And I just sensory overload. I just went, oh. I, I freaked out. And I, I was just, uh, the reason I freaked out because I envisioned it calving, uh, it detaching, falling flat, and smashing me on the bottom like a tomato. That's exactly what I envisioned while I was looking up at it. And then I got on the ski and got the hell out of there and did not want to go back. At that point, did you know how the glacier had fallen? Had you did could you tell that you had done all the surveying and the scouting that needed to be done so that logically that was just your fear talking? You knew that the glacier fell the way that it was supposed to. You weren't going to get splattered by this. No, the next it could have calved off at any second somewhere else. It doesn't it normally makes a lot of noise and creaks and and crumbles and then calves. But in theory, a mile of that glacier could have calved off at any time. The whole thing could have just fallen over. It's in a river. It was a really shallow river. And uh, the the fear that I encountered there, the, I chose to think a negative thought, think about the negative outcome. I could have chose to think about a positive outcome and I wouldn't have been afraid. But I chose to be afraid, chose to think about what could have happened, something that didn't happen, something that didn't exist something that uh, yeah there was no reason to be af to, to be afraid but the, to process it is it's okay but there was no reason to be afraid but I chose to be afraid forgive my ignorance on this you mentioned something else you mentioned was it the red change that you wanted them to go deeper on red chargers it was a project after our initial project with Nazare changed it was the um, AMG Mercedes red chargers yeah uh, so we came up with red chargers. So one thing about big wave surfers is they're always checking the weather reports. It only updates what every six hours. Yeah. It only updates every six hours, but they look at it every five minutes updating it. Cause they think for some reason it's going to change. No, I'm just programming <laughs> the swell, the storms for the pre for the future one. So I know exactly what they did. But what they're looking for are the big red blobs on these weather maps the storm. So when it's really, really red, that like means a hurricane, it's going to be basically. really, really big. So that's where we came up with the red chargers. Cause it's this group of guys who charge the red blobs, the red storms. And it was really about telling the stories about these people, like where they come from. I mean, Cotty was a plumber, you know, another guy like makes wine. Another guy plays the violin. Maya actually worked at 7-Eleven. Nobody really knows that. Yeah, like just human connection so that people can connect to these people. And so people can realize that they can follow their dreams and they can do what they love for their life livelihood. Check it out on HBO Max. It is riveting. It's interesting. Check out 100-Foot Wave. That's what it is called. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, Nicole. It is fascinating. Thank you for letting us into that part of your life. I wish now I, that we had those other five or six years. I want to know. You thought this could have been 100 episodes because it's <laughs> – I, I don't think there's anyone listening to this who isn't saying, wait a minute, what, that guy did what on a glacier and it wasn't enough? No, he needs to go do more than that. The glacier's not enough. The surfing of the glacier. He needs to go find something more than that at 54 years old. Keep telling him he doesn't. 
Have you tried? You've tried to get him out, right? Like I got to imagine at this point you're in his ear. Like enough, no. Well, he's 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 a very dramatic person. So he gets in these drama things. Like when I say, "Oh, I really need you to watch the kids," he's like, "Well, I got to go train because I could die if I go out there right now." I'm like, "Well, first of all, you don't have to go out there, so I don't even want to hear it." <laughs> Check it out, HBO Max. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. You had the best questions I've ever encountered. All right. I did all right then. Very, very good. Our thanks to Garrett and Nicole McNamara. Again, 100 Foot Wave, HBO Max. Binge it. We'll talk to you next week. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start, same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB, the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.